Amen. Lord, we do. We cry out for your mercy, Lord, because we so desperately need it. And Lord, we ask as we go to your word, that Lord, you would, for the sake of your people, that your Holy Spirit would speak in a mighty and a powerful way. Father, we thank you that your word is always right on time. We know, Lord, that you have this message for tonight for each of us that are here. Lord, give us attentive ears. I know it's for some of us been a long day. It's easy to get tired and distracted. But Father, right now we welcome your, your spirit into our presence. And so we give you the, the praise and the glory and the honor and all the respect and all the attention you deserve. So you be our teacher tonight, we ask. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said... Amen. God bless you guys. Welcome to Calvary Chapel. Great to have you here. Turn your Bible. says Genesis chapter 20. Continue our verse-by-verse study through the Old Testament. All right. Well, I invited the youth group in here tonight because I think this message is it's for all of us. Uh, but you know what? We're living in a time where the fear of God is something that is under attack. Nobody fears, seems to fear God anymore. God is mocked. He's not feared. And as we get to chapter 20 tonight, we're really going to look at that in depth. When we cease to walk in godly fear is what I've titled the message. And you know, we live in a time when our fear and our reverence for God ought to be at its highest. We ought to fear God like no other time. And sadly, it seems like there's very little. You know what? His return is closer than it's ever been. Amen? He could come today. We have witnessed firsthand the heavy consequences of sin in the world we live in right now. Disease and plagues, things like AIDS, and again, certainly people that are, you know, children get it, and it's just a consequence of someone else's sin, but, you know, most of it's coming from IV drug use and, and sex outside of marriage. And, you know, the, the Bible says in the last days we're going to see things like that. There's a, a rise in depression and fear and suicide, broken homes, families and marriages, the slaughter of millions of innocent babies. You know, we have school shootings and drive-by shootings and drug addiction and teenage pregnancy, and all the while our entertainment curses and blasphemes the very God we ought to fear. One of the reasons all these things are on the rise is people are in despair, and they're in despair because they have no hope, and they have no hope because they don't realize that there's a God who loves them. They don't realize his love, his grace, and his infinite mercy, and how he desires that none should perish. No, not one. This is for the youth, but for all of us. The music we listen to, does it honor God? If it doesn't, let's stop listening to it. Pastor Day's opinion. You can, I'll stand before God with that. It's okay. I don't mind. The movies that we watch, do they honor God or do they take our eyes off of him? The TV shows that we watch. I'm, I'm, I'm saying this to myself, not just with you, at you, but with you. So easy for us to be desensitized to sin as we watch sin over and over and over and sin becomes no big deal. It is a big deal. The books that we read, all that we see blaspheming his name. In our homes, we have access to gambling and pornography and sexual predators being invited in our homes through chat rooms. I mean, the world we live in today is in desperate need of Jesus Christ. And it's so important for the next, for every generation and the next generation specifically, they'll get, we get resensitized to sin and we stop acting like sin is no big deal and we start making God the priority again and we start living every day in the fear of Him. Amen? So, it is a time we should be fearing Him the most and we seem to fear Him the least. The Word of God is no longer the standard. I don't care if you're 8 years old or 88 years old. The Word of God should be the standard for your life. 
not the word of men, not the popularity with men, not being finding the approval of your of your you know your peers, your coworkers, the students in your school. That's all irrelevant. What matters is you're standing before God. And in light of the previous few chapters of Vince, you would think that Abram, Abraham now, would be walking in the fear of God like never before. Because the time as we come to Genesis 20, Abraham has witnessed wickedness unparalleled. Last chapter, we saw Sodom and Gomorrah being wiped out by God. But we saw that before Sodom and Gomorrah was wiped out, that a lot had happened leading up to that moment. And Abraham had had a part in it. Remember that the Lord had appeared to Abraham early on and gave him a promise and told him to get out of the land. He told Abraham then that he would have a son. He told him, get out of the land, and he promised to give him a son, and that through him he would, you know, populate the earth. But we know as soon as the famine came, he ran down to Egypt, and while in Egypt, picked up a lot of bad stuff. It's like us going down into the world. Guys, when we go into the world and we hang out with the world, we're going to be stained by the world. And we're going to start compromising like the world. Guys, you know, can a man hold fire to his bosom and not be burned? We cannot live in the world and not expect to be impacted by it. Abram goes down into Egypt. He takes his nephew Lot out of Ur, which he never should have. God told him to leave and leave his family there. He takes Lot down into Egypt, and as you've heard me say before, he could take Lot out of Egypt, but he couldn't get Egypt out of Lot. And when they left there, if you'll remember, he had lied about his wife. We'll talk about that more tonight. But he lied saying, pretend you're my sister. Pharaoh took her into his harem before he could sleep with her. God brought a heavy duty, you know, hand upon them. He brought disease upon them. They realized it was God and they let them go. He had to be rebuked by Pharaoh first. But we know that the way, when they went out, they had so much stuff now that Lot, Lot's servants and Abram's servants started to fight with each other because they had too much stuff. And that's sad. You get so much of the world, you begin to fight with each other. And so Abraham, having learned a little bit, you would think at this point, said, Lot, you choose which way you want to go, I'll go the opposite. And Lot looked up, and he saw the land toward Sodom was green. So he took that side. Hey, well-watered land in the desert, that's a big deal. So he, took the, he pitched his tent toward Sodom, he camped toward Sodom, and then finally we see him in the gates of Sodom. He's serving as one of the elders in Sodom. Now, in the meantime, time has gone on and Abraham has experienced both the hand of God and he's disobeyed the Lord. We know that the time went by and, and Lot was taken captive and Sodom was overrun and Abram, showing some boldness, took his 300 servants and went out and won the battle. And then when Sodom tried to give him, the king of Sodom tried to give him stuff, he wouldn't take it. He said, you know why? Because you'll take credit. You'll, when God does something great, you'll take credit for it. I don't want a sandal strap from you. I want nothing from you. But in the midst of all of that, while he would have times of great faith, he also had times of faithlessness. Because God had promised him a son, and it didn't happen quick enough, and his wife came and said, well, maybe you're supposed to sleep with my young maidservant, Hagar. And what did he say? Okay. Didn't have to twist his arm or anything. This is my young, beautiful maidservant. What do you think? Okay, great, sounds good. Here's compromise at its highest. They have a son, Ishmael. But God, we know that what happens is that then Sarai at the time was her name, looks at Hagar, becomes envious. There's a battle between them. She sends her packing. And if you remember, God looked down and he saw Hagar in the midst of it. And he showed her grace. And he brought her back and told her her son's name would be Ishmael, which means God hears. 
And we know she communicated that to her husband and they named him Ishmael, God hears. Now again, even after that, even after each time he would blow it, God would give him a chance to make an act of faith. And he told him, I want you to circumcise your sons as an act of faith, as an act of your covenant. God came down from heaven, walked between with the fire through the, the, the animals that had been separated to show I've made this covenant between you and me. Now you show me you've made a covenant by circumcising all the male children. And he did that. Now, he had done many great things, and now he, in the last chapter, he saw Sodom get smoked. If you remember, he first interceded on behalf of Sodom. He said, Lord, the Lord shows up to speak to him. He recognizes him. He comes out and pays tithes to him and honors him and worships him. And then he says, you know what? You're going to destroy Sodom. And he tells him, I'm going to destroy Sodom, and I want you to know about it, Abraham, because you're going to be a great nation one day, and I don't want you to fall into the same trap that they have. And the trap that they have is sexual depravity. They're so far away from me, they don't hear my voice anymore. And Abraham says, but Lord, you are such a righteous God. Would you kill the righteous with the wicked? And God says, you know, he says, but for the sake of 50, would you save them? Yes, I would. Well, Lord, for the sake of 40, 30, 20, all the way down to 10. And so the angels leave, as we saw last week, and they go down into Sodom. And when they get there, remember that he sees them coming. Lot sees them coming at a distance. This is Pastor Dave's interpretation. I believe he ran from the city gate to greet them. He didn't want them to even get to the city to see where he was hanging out. He was hanging out in the city gate, no doubt, the debauchery all around him, and it was all fine until the angels showed up. And the same is true for us. When we're hanging out with the world, we become like the world, and what will be greatly convicting often to us is when someone who's on fire for God walks up into the, into the group. You know what, I pray instead of us being looking out for the godly one walking up, let's be the godly one walking up. Let's be the one that when we walk into the room because of the Holy Spirit within us, people's attitudes change. Because they see Jesus in us. And so what happens was, he takes them, they say, we're going to just camp out in the middle of the city square. Oh no, that's a bad idea. Lot says, no, no, don't do that. You come and stay at my house, and early tomorrow morning before everybody wakes up from their drunken stupor, I'm going to get you out of town. Because I don't want you to see the place that I live, and we know what happened, that the word got out that these angels were there, and all the men came, and they, I don't want to be too graphic because we do have some youth, but they came in and they said, you know what, we want to, you know, have intimate, we want to be intimate with these men, bring them out. And if you'll remember what happened, that Lot said, well, no, no, you can't have the men, but just take my two young daughters instead. Nice father we got there in Lot, Right? But you know what? Lot had been hanging out with the world. You and I, it's shocking to us, but it wasn't as shocking to him because he was living amongst it. And so that brings us to the text because what happened, we know that they told Lot, go tell your family, we're, destruction's coming, we're out of here. After they blinded the men who tried to come and and uh, forced themselves on them. And what happened was they were blinded, and then the, the wrath of God was about to come. And remember, Lot went and told his son-in-laws and, his, and the daughters that were married, because the younger ones weren't married. And when he told them that God's judgment was coming, it says they laughed at him. And guys, when we are not men and women of the word of God, if we on a rare occasion, come and say, thus saith the Lord, and we share something from the word of God, people are going to think we're joking. It should be something that comes out of our mouth all the time, amen? But Lot had been living such an ungodly life that when he even came and spoke for the Lord, they said, you got to be kidding me, what? Please. Lot, we saw you in the city gate. Who knows what he was up to? They knew, and you know what? They wouldn't come. 
And because of it, it was only Lot, his two daughters, his virgin daughters, his wife, and the angels. And it says they had to drag him out of there. If you remember last week, they caught him by the hand. He wanted to stay in Sodom. Guys, let's face it. When we are wrapped up in the world, we want to stay there. That's our flesh, isn't it? I just want to stay here. This debauchery isn't so bad, and I've seen people live this lifestyle. And the Bible does say sin is pleasurable for a season, but you need to read the rest of that verse. In the end, it leads to death. And so often we're in that pleasure of sin, and we don't think it's a big deal, and following God's not really worth it, and, you know, I'm already saved anyway, and I got the grace of God, so I can just live like I want, I'll still get into heaven, and I wouldn't be so sure. Because if you truly love God, the conviction of God will be upon your life. And you'll be miserable in sin, amen? If you can be in sin and enjoy it, I would wonder if you're saved. And Pastor Dave's being direct tonight, because I love you guys. I love you guys, I'm burdened for you guys, I'm burdened for us, I'm burdened for the youth in the back four rows back there. And so what happens is we know, they come out of the city, and they had to be drug out by the angels, they wanted to stay there, he told them not to look back, and they get some distance out, and what happens? Lot's wife looks back and she turns into a pillar of salt. Guys, we need, to, we need to leave that which is behind and press onward in the upward calling of Christ Jesus, as the Apostle Paul said, amen? Instead of looking back and longing for the days of old and going back to that old sinful life, there's nothing there but disaster. So that brings us to chapter 20. And you would think, coming to this chapter, with all that's just happened, you just saw God bring brimstone, fire down from the sky. Abraham, no doubt, smelling it every morning, waking up in the morning, and the fire is still rising up. It's where the Dead Sea is today. And just the smell and the intense heat and everything that had happened, you would think there would be a greater focus on the things of God and fear of God than ever before. Not going to happen. So, if you're a note taker, Genesis 20, when we cease to walk in godly fear, number one, it's easy to fall back into the sins of the past. It's real easy when we stop fearing God to go back to our old sinful behavior. Number two, our actions do harm to the cause of Christ. When we don't walk in godly fear, we become a poor testimony. We become those who bring mocking and murmuring against the name of God. We become another Christian hypocrite and another reason for people not to believe in the God we serve. Guys, here's the reality. You shouldn't believe in the Lord because of Christians. You should believe in him because of Christ. Christians will fail you. But guys, we need to be salt and light. God's called us to be an example then it says, the third thing we'll see is that when we cease to walk in godly fear, when confronted with sin, we'll make excuses and accuse others rather than repent. Here's a sign of where you are spiritually. When confronted with sin, how do you respond? Is it always someone else's fault? Did someone else always do it? Do you pull an Adam, it's the woman thou gavest me? Is it always someone else's fault? Or do you, re- do you come to the place of realizing, you know what, it is me, and I do need to repent? Guys, repentance isn't a bad thing. It's a great thing. It's a good thing. It's a mark of humility and brokenness. Number four, when we cease to walk in godly fear, the world can appear more godly than we do. Have you ever had anybody say that to you? I've met unbelievers that look more like Christians than Christians I know. I've had people say that to me. And I say, boy, you know what? That Christian must not be walking with God. That's all I can tell you. Because if we're walking with the Holy Spirit, we ought to be different than the world. Amen? And then lastly, when we cease to walk in godly fear, we can lose sight of the incredible calling God has on our lives. So let's begin in verse 1. I know that was a long intro. Got the youth in here, haven't been here for a long time, so I want to make sure they have the context and we got it. So, 
When we cease to walk in godly fear, number one, it's easy to fall back into the sins of the past. Look at verse one. And Abraham journeyed from there to the south and dwelt between Kadesh and Shur and stayed in Gerar. Now, he journeyed from where? The place God had told him to be. We saw this happen once before, didn't we? Famine came into the land, and he left and went down to Egypt. Now, I don't know why he left. Gerar, the city he went to, is a Philistine city. The Philistines, as we know, Goliath was a Philistine. The Philistine are godless. And they, he goes down into the land of idolatry. And Now, it is a land where they, made, they, they traded, and it's possible... Some believe maybe he went down there just to have some business dealings, but I think it's more than that because he seems to take everyone with him. If he was just going down there to buy something or trade something, which first of all, I don't know that God even needed, you know, he was already extremely wealthy. What more did he need? But he took everyone with him. And so he leaves the place God had for him to go down into a place filled with idolatry and worldliness. And guess what? You go down and hang out with the world, you are going to become like the world in short order. You become like the people you hang out with. Amen? Bad company corrupts good morals. But the Bible says a three-chord strand is not easily broken. If you're walking with godly people, they are a source of encouragement to hold up your hands and keep you accountable. You walk with ungodly people, don't be surprised when you're acting, acting like you don't know God. The Philistines were descendants of Ham. Remember that Ham was cursed by his father. And they did not worship the true God. Again, had some knowledge of it. But Abraham goes down. He's a very wealthy man. And he's gone down into this place filled with idolatry. So he's repeating what he did in chapter 12. But I find this interesting. In chapter 12, it was a famine that moved him. This time, there's no record of any reason why he had. Now, the famine, he should have stayed and trusted God. This time, there's not even a mention of a famine. You know, it could be that he just didn't like seeing the smoke rising up from where Sodom used to be. That constant reminder of God's righteous judgment. I have no idea, but I know this. He went down into a place and nothing but trouble is going to come. He's moving down again into idolatrous land, pagan land. Knew again the trouble would come that if he went. Here's the difference. He had gone down there once before. He'd gone down to Egypt once before and it was a disaster. And now some time has passed, and when we lose the fear of God, there's the opportunity and often the desire to go back to an old sinful behavior. He's been camping out in the desert for a while. He's wealthy. He seems to have everything he could possibly need. But boy, it's pretty shiny down there, and there's some stuff going on down there. And man, let's go check it out. Let's go see what they're doing down there. And you know what? We go and head off and hang out with people who don't know God, who have no fear of God, and don't be surprised when, again, very quickly, we're acting just like them. He sees the trouble, and he goes for it anyway. And it's so much easier to simply trust and obey in the one who created you instead of going out and following after the world. You know what's interesting in Proverbs? One of my favorite verses in the Bible. Proverbs 22.3 says, A prudent man foresees evil and hides himself, but the simple pass on and are punished. A wise man looks down the road and says, Ooh, I go that way, nothing good coming. 
and he hides himself from it. He doesn't go tiptoe around it and hang out. You know what, I know all my buddies are going to be getting lit tonight, but maybe I'll go witness to them. Uh, no. No. Invite them to church or, you know, amen. If that's an area where you're going to fall, don't go. Bad company corrupts good morals. But you know what? A wise man sees that, says, oh, hides himself. But what does a foolish man do? He simply passes on, and in the end, the punishment comes. Abraham, Abraham sees evil coming and deliberately walks right into it. And it's so important that we do not walk deliberately into temptation. Guys, there's enough temptation in the world for you to keep from seeking it out for yourself. Amen? Hey, I'm just going to shoot straight. If you're here tonight, and you struggle with alcohol. Do not go into a bar to get a Coke. Amen? Amen. Don't go into a liquor store to buy a pack of gum. Stay away from the thing that tempts you. Flee youthful lust is what the Bible tells us. The Lord teaching his disciples how to pray says, Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So the prayer in the morning ought to be, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. And really the prayer is saying, look, there are times I'm going to be tempted today, and there are times when the availability to sin are going to happen today. Lord, don't let them coincide. Don't let my fleshly desire and the ability to sin happen at the same time. Lord, keep me away from temptation in my weak moments. Lord, strengthen me when temptation does come. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And here we, here we see Abraham, the father of faith, marching right down into temptation, going right back into that old sinful behavior. We need to pray for protection but also take action to keep ourselves from places where we will be tempted, to flee that youthful lust, to give no place for the temptation. So again, if you struggle with alcohol, stay out of the bars. If you struggle with spending and being a good steward, don't have a bunch of credit cards. Amen? That's just, you can always go to the Crown Financial class, they'll teach you about that. But here's the reality. The Bible says we're not to be in debt, Right? Well, Pastor Dave, that just like, I, I mean, you know, talk about adultery, but don't be talking about my credit cards now. Come on now. But the reality is that we need to be careful that if that's a struggle for us, we should not load ourselves up and put us in a place of temptation. Amen? Whatever that temptation may be. If you struggle with gambling or pornography on the internet, get rid of your computer. We shouldn't make it easy to sin. Don't put yourself in the environment as Abraham is going to into tonight's text. And to the youth group, don't go to a party where you know kids will be drinking and doing drugs. Nothing good happens in that environment, ever. No good happens in that environment. And so, he's, Abraham journeys from there. He goes down to the south. He's going back to that place where he had stumbled before. It's not the exact same city, but it's the same kind of environment. It's actually right on the border of Palestine and Egypt. So Palestine's a land of promise in Egypt, and he's going right down to the border. Boy, some of us like to live right there, don't we? One foot in the kingdom and the other one in the world. That's the spiritual splits and it hurts every time. Don't do it. Let's get on. Let's, let's follow him whole heart. And now watch what happens. He's going back to the same place. Guess what? Have you heard this before? Now Abram said to Sarah, his wife, of Sarah, his wife, she is what? My sister. Where have we heard this before? Back in Egypt. You go back down into the land of pagan idolatry, and here we go, repeating the same thing. Now, the last chapter, two chapters ago, the Lord told him, the Lord, Jesus Christ, pre-incarnate, shows up, looks at him and says, not only are you going to have a son, I know I promised you 25 years ago, he's going to be born within the next 12 months. And then Sodom and Gomorrah get smoked, 
Fear of God, anticipating what God's about to do, I'm thinking moving anywhere right now, bad idea. So now instead, what does he do? He goes down into the land, and then he, hey babe, remember last time? How could I forget? I almost became Pharaoh's wife. What are you talking about? Well, just tell him you're my sister one more time. <laughs> nice guy. Way to go. Abraham, the fa- he's in the hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. That would be a word of encouragement for every one of us. Amen? So he had gone down there before, said he was a sister before, lost respect of his family and servants, and no doubt contributed to Lot's lust for the things of the world and worldly possessions and comforts. They've been desensitized by sin, by living in that environment, a lessened respect for God's word and a lack of godly fear. And since that debacle in Egypt, the Lord had visited him, he had shown him mercy, and again, he had seen all the things that had happened around him. You would think that now his attitude would be different, but you know what? He's right back down there committing the exact same sin. He's been circumcised. He's seen Sodom judged. The Lord has appeared to him. Melchizedek has shown up. I mean, God has promised to give him a son. I mean, he's seen all of these things, and yet he goes right back to it. Guys, there, but for the grace of God, goes every one of us. Amen? Anybody who thinks you're above sinning, take heed lest ye fall, the Bible says. And that old sinful life is still there, one to draw us back. You know what? He goes back into the city, and his family once again, and his servants once again, see the perversion and the wickedness all around them, the idolatry, and they see all those same things right, you know, right in their face one more time. And he's called to be the spiritual leader. So the key point here is, sin is easier the second time. To fall into sin again. I hear this a lot. People will say, well, I just had to do it once to get it out of my system. Uh, That's not how it works. When you do something once, you're not putting the flesh to death. You're feeding the flesh and it only wants more. Amen? I just want to try getting drunk one time to see what it's all about. Uh, No. You know, I just, me and my girlfriend, we had to sleep together once just to, you know, just to get, uh, no. Try drugs once, No. Look at that stuff once. No. All you're doing is feeding the flesh. Your flesh is going to want more, and it's easier to sin the second time. You know what? We need to be holy for he is holy and put that standard up right now and not go through it because once you go through it once, it's easier to go through it the second time. And here he is. All that God has done, he's right back down in that environment. He's telling the same lie yet again. Abraham, the father of the faith. Yeah, just smoke pot once, no big deal, right? You got to try it. Let me tell you something. Smoke pot once before you know it, you're a pothead and you can't get over it. And I don't care what anybody says about it not being addictive, it absolutely is. And the reason I know that is more people struggle with that than any other drug I know of, period. And you know what? It's not okay. Well, God says the herbs of the ground are good, so that's good to smoke. The Bible says, be not drunk with wine, be filled with the Holy Spirit. The word for, for uh, drugs, pharmakia, is the same word for sorcery. You open yourself up to the enemy when you get high. I don't need to be high. I need to just be filled with the Spirit. Amen? So guys, we need to put all that stuff away. It's not okay. Not a little bit. Not sometimes. You're here tonight. God brought you here for a reason. You need to put that stuff away and never do it again because God's better. Amen? The enemy wants to use it to drag you away. So, we become desensitized to sin. 
sex, drugs, alcohol, lying, stealing, adultery, using God's name in vain. All those types of things just become commonplace in our lives. Before you know it, it's just the way that it is. It's not that big a deal. Lying's not a big deal. You lie once, it's easier to lie the second time, the 500th time. You know, you, you, you do drugs once, all those things. And here we have this example. The father of the faith, he goes down there and he's lying. She's my sister. What happened? No fear of God is what happened. The enemy is trying to convince you and I tonight that it's no big deal to sin. But guys, we are called by God to be holy because sin has consequences. And sin does indeed impact not only us, but the people around us. And so here he says, she is my sister. And Abimelech, king of of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. Dude, you know what the definition of insanity is? To do the same thing over and over again and expect different results, right? And what happens? He said, she's my sister. Why? Because she's beautiful. You know what? Sarah must have been unbelievable because she's 90. I mean, how fine was Sarah? I mean, 90. And the the king goes, hey, got to have her. Get me 90 over there. And you know what? And so they bring They bring Sarah into his home, and here sits Abraham again. Now, what had God said? Uh, I'm making a great nation through Sarah. Oh, yeah, the Messiah is going to come through Sarah one day. We know that, right? And all these things, and 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 the king of Gerar says, yeah, give me Sarah, and okay. And off she goes. Oh, this happened once before. My wife's been sold into someone's harem. Not like I haven't done this before. Not that big a deal, right? Been desensitized to sinful behavior. And this is exactly what happens. The father of faith, the one through whom a great nation would come, one whom through the Messiah would come, the, the, he's within a year of having the promised son. And what does he do? He allows his wife to be taken. Now, what, what is causing Abraham to do this? Let me tell you what it is. It's a fear of man instead of a fear of God. He was afraid that if he didn't say, this is my sister, people would see how beautiful his wife was. They would take her and say, well, man, she's married. We've got to kill her husband to get her. But wait a minute. Didn't God promise that through him would come a great nation? So you either believe in God's promises or you're sweating out what the world might do to you. Guys, who cares what the world thinks they're going to do to you? Our God is greater. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. We need not be afraid. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. Amen? But here we see him, fearful. Had he truly believed, he probably would have never been down there to begin with. But, and he certainly would not have had his wife lie. He would have told the truth. He would have defended his wife. He would have stepped up and said, no, you can't have my wife. That's my wife. The Bible says in Ephesians, husband, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. A godly husband doesn't use his wife as a shield from attack. Amen? All right, babe, just be real pretty and stand right there and I'll tell them you're my sister. And If they come, they can have you and that'll be the end of that. The Bible says he lays down his life for her. Amen? Lay down his life for her. Lays down his life for his wife. While God's ultimate plan cannot be thwarted, Abraham's sinful behavior is going to result in his wife being taken, his testimony being blown. He's going to end up being rebuked yet again by another pagan king. He's going to jeopardize God's plan of bringing the Messiah through his wife. And you know what? It is amazing how much God did to keep his plan together. Isn't it amazing? I read this and I think, boy, God loves me. 
because he's doing all this for you and for me. Do you realize if if Sarah had married him, it would have messed up the whole thing. Do you understand that? But God said, no, you know what? Because I love them, I'm not going to allow that to happen. Now, Abraham's testimony is going to be blown in the process. Abraham's greatest struggle, again, appears to be fear. He's quick to protect himself. Guys, each of us has an area we're vulnerable to. Maybe two or three areas where you know that's my biggest struggle. And I'm not saying you should ever think you're over the rest of the areas of your life, but there are areas where you know you struggle, you need to take heed in those areas. Don't put yourself in a place. If you, again, if you struggle with whatever it is, don't put yourself in an environment where you're going to fall into it. We must put our flesh to death daily. Take heed, again, lest ye fall. And we certainly learn a great deal about sin's consequences and Abraham's faithfulness. But praise God for the infinite emphasis on this chapter on his grace. So number two, when we cease to walk in godly fear, our actions do harm to the cause of Christ. It says there in verse 3, But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Indeed, you're a dead man. Now, if God shows up and says, Indeed, you're a dead man, that's not good. This is not what you want. Now, what's interesting, a pagan king, almighty God, comes to him in a dream to talk to him. And you think, wow, why did he come to him in a dream? Well, let me tell you why. He only had one prophet at the time, and the prophet was the problem. So he couldn't send the prophet because the prophet was the problem. Well, I don't have a problem. I have to do this one myself. And so he comes down into his dream. And can you imagine? I kind of imagine. Here's the king, right? He's got to be, you know, he's got a harem. He's got beautiful women. He's got all the stuff. He's got a palace, right? Uh, we know that Sarah's up in the palace somewhere, but he hasn't touched her, as we're going to see. And I just imagine him crawling up into some big king-sized bed. That's where we get the term, right? And he's laying in his bed, and everything's just all good. I'm the king. How good could it be, right? And he's laying in bed, and just, hey, life is sweet. And all of a sudden, as he closes his eyes, the Lord shows up in his dream and says, Hey, king, dead man. What? I'm just laying in my king-size bed, man. What did I do? And what's amazing, actually, is now he's going to talk to the Lord, and he actually has a more righteous argument than the prophet does. It's amazing how even a man who doesn't know God has a greater sense of conviction. You know, this should be an encouragement to you because Sarah's husband didn't stick up for her, but notice who did. Amen? Maybe your wife here and your husband doesn't know God. You're not alone. Because look who showed up to defend her. Her husband wouldn't do it, so Almighty God did it. He'll do a better job anyway. Amen? So Almighty God shows up. He's watching over her. God would not allow his promise to Abraham and Sarah to be broken. God comes to Abimelech in a dream. And this Philistine, this Philistine king, this man of power and position and authority, and God comes to him and, oh. And again, I just imagine him crawling up into his bed and, boy, just getting woken up like never before. And it says there, Indeed, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is a man's wife. I didn't know this. He nods off to sleep. The Lord shows up. You're a dead man. You took the woman that does, uh, got his attention. Look at verse 4 and 5. But Abimelech had not come near her. And he said, Lord, will, will, you, will you slay a righteous nation also? I think that's probably how he said it. Stuttering all the way. You know what's interesting to me, though? He says, will you slay a righteous nation? Aren't those similar words that Abraham had used about Sodom? Isn't it interesting to see, just not very long later, and here we have a pagan king using the same words. And he said, in verse 5, 
did he not say to me, she's my sister? Dude, she said to me, I didn't know. She said, this is my sister. And even she herself said, he is my brother. And in the integrity of my heart and innocence of my hands, I have done this. Now, God had protected her, and God had kept this man from touching her, even though she was living in the palace. And again, this had more to do with God's protection than Abimelech's morality. But he does say, you know, Lord, I, I, I didn't, I didn't do this on purpose. I, I, you know, they came, they lied to me. I was acting in good faith. And you know what? The truth is that he has a more faithful argument, again, as I said, than the prophet. You know, the Bible says, Can bitter and sweet water flow from the same fountain? Yet sadly, this is one of the greatest stumbling blocks in the world today. People who claim to follow God with their words, but deny them with their actions. And here we have had Abraham lie to the king. And so now, what is the king's understanding of Abraham and Sarah? They're liars. They're deceivers. What? I, they came. I asked. I did all the protocol. I went. I said, hey, you know, oh, my sister. And I asked her, yeah, he's my brother. Okay. And then I brought her here. Hey, I was trying to be on the up and up. Are you telling me they're married? What kind of testimony is that? It's an ungodly one. Abimelech, the pagan king, points to his innocence. And he had appropriately inquired again. And it was... It wasn't the pagan king who had done wrong, but the prophet of God who had lied. It's so tragic when professing believers' actions become a source of accusation for the lost. Guys, do your actions at work cause other people to to drag the name of our Savior through the mud? Does your behavior, your actions, your attitude, I mean, your neighbors, you know, can they hear you screaming out your windows? I mean, you know, what kind of testimony do we have? Guys, we only have one chance to represent the Lord in this life. We need to be pointing people to Him. And here is this pagan king and all he has seen of a follower of God. The only living prophet of God is he's a liar and a deceiver. Verse 6. And God said to him in a dream, Yes, I know that you did this in the integrity of your heart, for I also withheld you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. So this was not the integrity as much of the man certainly had shown integrity in the sense that he had done things the right way but it was God who had protected Sarah God looked down and said look you don't understand this is my plan that my son is going to come through this line and you are not going to mess it up regardless you don't understand I'm God I'm in control now the problem again is that Abraham is missing out on God's blessing Abraham has blown his testimony God's will is still going to be done but Abraham could have had a much better role in it amen now, the good news is that God sees the beginning from the end. Aren't you glad? Because God doesn't, doesn't, we're going to see this in a few verses. God just doesn't see Abraham, who is the lying deceiver. He sees that Abraham is going to go up Mount Moriah and be willing to sacrifice his son to God. Aren't you glad that God doesn't, doesn't just see you at your worst moment? Amen. Thank you, Lord. He who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it. And that work continues on. Amen. So be encouraged and praise God for his grace. God acknowledged his relative integrity, but I am the one who withheld you from sinning. And again, it wasn't Abimelech that protected Sarah. It was the Lord. And guys, we should all know that God has his eyes on you. He is watching over you. He's protecting you. Verse 7. Now, therefore, restore the man's wife, for he is a prophet. How hard must those words have been? 
Okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to give him his wife back because that's my guy. He's the one who speaks for me. He is to be the one to be an example to all others. That's my prophet. Talk about the grace of God, amen? Because again, he saw the man he would be up on Mount Moriah. He knew that he was going to do a great work in him. And he really seems to put God in an awkward spot. But again, only the real knowledge this king has of him as being a deceiver. And it's the first time in the Bible do you know that the word prophet is used. Now again, this is why I'm not God. But I would have waited for like Daniel. You know what I mean? Joseph. You know, Moses after the murder. You know what I mean? I mean, there's some people, you know, you go, you know, I, I don't know. The first time I'm going to use the word prophet is when he just lied and deceived and said she's my sister and put her into a harem. But you know what this points to, guys? God's grace. Amen? The while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And he loves us. Not because of our good works, but because of his great grace. It's not by chance that the first time we see the word prophet is when a guy's totally blowing it. The point being made here is that while Abraham is his spokesman, it is God who is speaking. Guys, it's not the spokesman we should be in awe of. It's the one who's speaking. Amen? We have reverence for God, not for man. And as living water flows out of marred and imperfect vessels, that should be an encouragement for every one of us, continues to point to God's incredible grace that God can use sinners like you and me. And he says, I know this. So he says, for he is a prophet. And he will pray for you and you shall live. Now wait a minute. The guy that lied... The guy that deceived me, that's the guy that's going to pray for me. Yep, it's my guy. In the midst of Abraham's unfaithfulness, God still continues to use him. While we should never take sin lightly, God's calling is not based on our perfection or nobody here would be called. Amen? We would all go, oh man, well I blew it. I can't be used by God. And that's one of the things the enemy wants to tell you every single day. Who do you think you are getting up and teaching people the Bible after you talk that way to your wife? Right? After you did that at work, how in the world are you going to get up and teach a children's ministry? After you said that, after you drove that way, how in the world? Praise God there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You know that God uses us in spite of us, not because we're perfect, because he is. And he says, you know, he's going to pray with you. That guy. That guy. That's the best you got. Creator of the universe, Alpha and Omega. This is the best you got. It's my guy. You know what, though? I'm so glad that he says that about us. Amen? We've blown it. That's my guy. That's my gal. That's my child. I love him. I'm going to use him. He will pray for you, and you will live. But if you do not restore her, know that you will surely die. You and all who are yours. Oh. Okay. Well, him praying for me doesn't sound so bad now. Oh, he is going to pray for me. Oh, that sounds pretty good, actually. Because, you know, dying, not so much. So, yeah, I want you to send him on over. That sounds pretty good. Let's just do that. If you don't, you're going to die. Now, people say, well, this seems kind of harsh. God says to him, if you don't give her back, well, he didn't even know to begin with. Give her back or you're a dead man. Why? Because the Messiah is going to come through this line. And God doesn't play with that. Aren't you glad he didn't? He said, look, I've got some people in Santa Cruz that are going to need to be saved. So here's what's happening. You don't touch her. And if you don't give her back, I'm smoking you dead right where you stand. You understand what I'm talking Okay, yeah, that's fine. Take her head. Yeah, have her. 
She's 90 anyway. It doesn't matter. (laughs) I'm just kidding. I just love this picture that God, in the midst of all of this disobedience, is thinking about you. In the midst of all of this, he still loves Abraham and he's still going to use him. And all this just points to the fact, though it's not a rule, you know, a wheelbarrow full of rules with heaven at the end. He's a God of love and grace and mercy. And he looks down at this man and says, you know what? My son blew it and give her back. He blew it before. He blew it again. Give her back. I'm not done with him. So when we cease to walk in godly fear, it's easy to fall back into past sins. Our actions do harm the cause of Christ. Number three, when confronted with sin, we make excuses, accuse others, or repent. Look at verse 8. So Abimelech rose early in the morning. Now, I like that response. Don't you like that response? He was asleep. God shows up, says, give her back, or you're a dead man. He woke up, and he jumped out of bed, and he got his guys, said, let's go take care of this. That's a good response, amen? You know, when God speaks to us, we could learn a little bit from Abimelech, this pagan king. The pagan king responds in a godly way, in a sense that he, okay, God said. Now, he responded out of fear, but he awoke. He had had the dream. He heard from God. He responded immediately, and he serves as an example for many Christians. You know, some of us, we hear from God days, weeks, months, years go by, and we haven't responded yet. God's got a calling on your life. God tells you to do something. Let's respond today. He said, called all his servants and told all these things in their hearing, and the men were very much afraid. Oh, by the way, I had a dream last night. God showed up and told me if I don't give that woman back, not only am I dead, you're all dead too. Oh, uh, yeah, that's not good. uh, Where is she? (laughs) How do we get her back? Somebody, let's clear the way. Let's get her. You know, I'd appreciate that they are operating in more of the fear of God than the prophet is. The prophet, God tells him to do something. Oh, I'm just going to go down here for a while. That'll happen later. I'm just going to go back down here for a while. And and God tells them, like, uh, they wake up and they tell the servants, everybody jumps to it, let's make it happen. They're operating more in the fear of God. Fear of God is a good thing, and again, it's woefully lacking today. The Bible says the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. That means if there's no fear of God, there's no wisdom. Sin runs rampant where there's no fear of God. And again, we see this pagan king responding in a better way than even the man called to be the prophet of God. Verse 9 and 10. And Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, What have you done to us? Now Abraham not only sins, but he gets rebuked again by another pagan king. Now I can tell you something, because it has happened to me, and I know none of you will admit it, but there's very few things in the world worse than having an unbeliever rebuke you about your behavior. Oh, is that an ouch or what? Is there anything? That's just so, ah. Oh. I told you a story about speeding, cop pulling me over. I'm copping an attitude because everybody was speeding. I was just driving the same speed as everybody. That's no excuse, by the way. And he pulls me over, and I'm just, and I'm not angry, but I'm just kind of, well, man, you know, everybody else is driving the same speed. I don't want you to pull me over, you know. And he goes, you know, and I, and I had my Bible in the front seat of my car and Christian stuff on the back, and he goes, well, hey, I noticed you got your Bible there in the front seat. It doesn't say something in Romans 13 about submitting to authority. Oh! That hurts five times worse than a speeding ticket. That was, ouch. I, oh, forgive me. Oh, Lord, help. And here's, you know, can you imagine the second time they bring Abraham in? Dude, what in the world have you done to me? 
the pagan king, is going after the prophet of God. Because the prophet of God is compromising his faith. And he says to him, How have I offended you that you now brought sin on me and my kingdom, a great sin? You have done deeds to me that ought not to be done. You know, is it interesting that Abimelech recognizes it as sin and the prophet doesn't? The ungodly guy said, you brought sin into my house. I don't even know God, but I saw him last night. That was enough. You've been walking with him. He's visited you a bunch of times. He had dinner at your house. He called you. What's up with you, man? I had five. I had a dream, and I'm like, hey, let's stop this. And here you are bringing all this into my house. Don't you recognize that that's sin and it's wrong? Too much fear of man and not enough fear of God. And not enough faith in God, amen? Because he went down there. How humiliating for the prophet of God. This is, didn't this happen one other time? The Pharaoh rebuked me last time. I'm getting rebuked again. Again, maybe you've heard it. I thought you were a Christian. Ouch. Lord, help us to live in a way that would point people to you, not stumble them and keep them from you. Amen? Verse 10. Then Abimelech said to Abraham, what did you have in view when you when you've done this thing? He said, what were you thinking, man? Pastor Dave, paraphrase. What were you thinking? I'm just down here minding my own pagan business, and you come down here, and I, didn't, you, I asked, you told me, I brought it to my house, I didn't do anything, and now look, God's going to kill me. Thanks a lot. Thanks for, thanks for visiting, Gerard. Good having you here. What in the world are you thinking? Verse 11. Now look how, look how Abraham responds. You're right. I totally blew it. I was outside of God's will. I never should have done it. Will you please forgive me? As a matter of fact, you need to know that God loves you and God desires to have a relationship with you. And let me tell you about the God I serve. Is that what he says? Uh, no, not even close to that. Verse 11. And Abraham said, because I, I, I thought surely the fear of God is not in this place and they will kill me on account of my wife. So excuse number one was fear of man. Abraham gave the excuse, you guys don't know God, so really it's your fault. Because I was afraid of you guys, so Abimelech, it's really because of you that I had no other choice but to do this. So Abimelech, it's your fault. When confronted with sin, we can do one of three things. Make excuses, accuse others, or repent. So uh, excuse number one, it's Abimelech's fault. Verse 12. But indeed, she is truly my sister. She's the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother, and she became my wife. So really, it wasn't even a lie. So really, it's your fault because I was afraid of you, and really, it wasn't really a lie because she is my sister and my wife. So I told she's my sister, so it's kind of a half-truth. A half-truth equals a whole lie. Amen? And when she came, how about the rest of this? I mean, how flawed is this logic? He came and asked to take her to be his wife. I'm thinking that part, you might want to say, uh, no, already married to me. So you did lie. But isn't it amazing how when confronted with sin, how, oh, I didn't, I never said that. What are you talking about? That wasn't me. It was somebody else, right? I mean, kids learn that at a young age to blame it on your siblings. The vases, bro, I, I don't know what you, they could have Cheetos all over. Did you eat the Cheeto? No, it wasn't me. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Point, the baby can't walk. Hey, you didn't eat them, you ate them. And here we have him going, look, I, I, but she, you know, it was your fault, and really, I told the truth when I got here. No, you didn't. Excuse number two is he's trying to say, well, I really did tell the truth the first time. I told the truth. 
It was just a misunderstanding. Those are excuses so far. Number three, we're almost done. And it came to pass when God caused me to wander from my father's house that I said to her, this is your kindness that you should do for me in every place, wherever we go, say he is my brother. So the first thing, the second half of the verse, I'll get to the less offensive one first. He says, well, this is just an old habit we have. We had this thing 15 years ago that whenever we go somewhere, if somebody takes a shining to her, she's just supposed to tell them I'm her brother so they don't kill me. So it's just an old habit that we have. And so old habits die hard sometimes. And so that's my excuse number three. Confronted with sin, well, it's just an old habit. You know, I've had this problem for a while. It's not that big a deal. It's an old habit. Come on, man, lighten up. It's an old habit. Relax already. If it's an old habit, it's still a new sin every time you do it. Amen? And so what happens? The worst of them all at the beginning of that verse, what does he say? Who does he blame it on? When God caused me to wonder. So Abimelech, it's your fault. I really did tell the truth the first time. It's just an old habit that I have. And you know what, God, really, it's your fault. Because, God, you made me wander. The word wander there, literally, there's like eight different words you can use for wander. This is almost like a curse word. It's a word used for someone who, like an animal that goes astray, or a drunken man who's fallen down, or someone who goes into sinful seduction, or the path of a lying heart. And basically he says, God caused me to wander. God, it's your fault. God, if you hadn't, you know, if you had taken care of me, I wouldn't have had to do what I did. I prayed and asked you, and you didn't show up, so I said, take things in my own hands. Nobody else here ever done that, right? I, I didn't say it out loud like that, but maybe I, you know what I mean? So, when confronted with sin, we can make excuses, accuse others, or repent, and so far it's God's fault, it's Abimelech's fault. He really did tell the truth. What are you talking about? It's just an old habit I had. I don't know why it's a problem for you. It's just something I got to shake. No big deal. It's everyone else's fault but mine. You know what? God wants to forgive our sin, but for him to forgive us, we must first come to a place where we stop making excuses and we start repenting. Where we stop saying it's someone else's fault, it's my wife, it's my brother, my boss, it's the people, my people at school, it's the thing, it's the teacher. If he would, no, it's you. Amen? Me. The biggest sinner I know looks at me in the mirror every morning. Amen? I know every wicked, vile thing I've ever done and thought, and you don't, and if you didn't, you'd probably kick me out of here. I mean, that's the point, right? Paul, Paul the more spiritual he got, he went from, he went from being you know, a man of God to chief of sinners. What happens? The more you walk with God, the more desperately you realize you need him. Amen? And so we see here, and I promise we're almost done, but Abraham should have said, forgive me, I've blown it. I've sinned against you. But he doesn't do that. You know, it's been said, he who makes excuses, he who's good at making excuses is rarely good at anything else. Amen? I'm going to tell on him. Pastor Bill has a saying, I actually love it. He goes, that guy's a bag of excuses. And it's true. <laughs> you know, some people, you talk to some people and they've just got an excuse for everything. Ah, oh, the thing I have behind you. Know, stop! God knows better, doesn't he? Let's just get right with him. It's time to stop making excuses and giving reason for our sin, to stop excusing others, and to come humbly before God and repent before him. Amen? When we cease to walk with God, only two more points. I'm trying not to lose you here. It says, when we cease to walk with God, the world can appear more godly than we do. Look what happens. Let me finish verse 13. It says, it came to pass when, when God caused me 
you know, again, it's God's fault. This is your kindness you should do for me in every place, wherever you say to me, he is my brother. So again, this is just a common thing we had. And then Abimelech, look what he does. Took sheep and oxen and male and female servants and gave them to Abraham and restored Sarah, his wife, to him. Who's, who's obeying God in this chapter? The pagan king. Not only does he give him his wife back, but he gives him sheep and oxen too. You know why? He had a dream. God showed up and he said, hey, that was God. I'm not messing around here. He told me to give him the wife. I'm thinking, wife, let's give him sheep. Let's give him oxen. Let's make sure that we do everything that God said. Let's not even tap dance around kind of being in the center of God's will. Let's do everything he told us to do. The prophet's making excuses and lying, and this guy's given above and beyond what God asked him to. Verse 15, And Abimelech said, See my land that's before you? Dwell where you please. You know what? Here's your wife. Here's some sheep. Here's some oxen. Pick wherever you want to live in my land. It's yours. This is a guy in the fear of God. Amen? And the prophet is lying through his teeth. And then it says in verse 16, Then to Sarah he said, Behold, I have given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. Wait a minute. He gave back the woman. He asked, is she your wife? No, she's my sister. Is that your husband? No, my brother. Okay, I brought you into my, I did nothing wrong. God showed up, said, hey, I'm going to kill you. You better give her back. You don't give her back, you're a dead man. Oh, okay, wakes up in the morning, takes her and gives her back and says, you know, as long as I'm here, here's some sheep, here's some oxen, pick out whatever land you want. And by the way, here's a thousand pieces of silver. Now, in case you wonder how much that is, Joseph was sold into slavery for 20 pieces of silver. This is 50 times as much as the price of a slave. I think this guy heard from God. Amen? Now, I'm not saying he's saved, but he at least has fear of God. What if everybody had the fear of God that the pagan king has? Doesn't he look more like the godly guy in this whole exchange? Sadly, when we walk in our flesh and make excuses for our sin, we can make the world look more godly than we are. That's why we need to respond to things in a godly way. And then it says, we're almost done here, it says, I've given a thousand pieces of silver, and indeed this vindicates you before all who are with you and before everybody. Thus, she was rebuked. Guess what? Not only did Abraham get rebuked by the pagan king, but so did Sarah. Because Sarah had told him, yeah, he's my brother. So both of them now know what it's like to be rebuked by a pagan king. To rebuke, be rebuked by a heathen man. Last point. When we cease to walk in godly fear, we can lose sight of the incredible calling God has on our lives. Look at the last two verses. So Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech, his wife and his female servants. Then they bore children. For the Lord had closed up all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. You know what's interesting? God brought a curse upon the man who had done nothing more than interact with the prophet when he was walking in sinful disobedience to God. And now, look what happens how the chapter ends. Abraham is still being used by God. Guys, should that be an encouragement to all of us? Abraham has been a mess this entire chapter, and God's still going to use him. Now, that's not an excuse to sin. It's not an excuse to live in ungodly behavior, but notice that God still knows the man Abraham is going to become. No matter what you've done, God still can use you in a mighty way. Amen? 
You can take a million steps away. It's truly one step back. It doesn't matter what that past looks like. God has redeemed it. He's forgiven you. You can get right with him tonight. He can still do great things in and through you. Abraham, we know, his best days are in front of him. But notice that Abraham does pray, and he does seek the Lord. When we've blown it, the enemy's going to condemn us. But you know what? We can still pray for others. It's not about how good I was today, but who I am in Christ. Amen? You can pray for people. Don't let the enemy keep you from praying because you've blown it. Don't let the enemy keep you from being used by God because you've sinned. Guys, you're going to sin. Sin's not okay. We should make excuses for it, but don't let the enemy render us ineffective because of it. We come to him as his sons and daughters. He loves us. He longs to hear from us. And while he loves us unconditionally, it's not based on our good works, but our love for him ought to be reflected in how we live. And so, in closing... And thanks for your patience tonight. When we cease to walk in godly fear, it's easy to fall back into sins of the past. Be careful. The enemy wants to tempt you to draw you back to the old life. Pray that prayer. Lead us not into temptation. Amen? But deliver us from evil. Our actions do harm to the cause of Christ. When confronted with sin, when we're not not walking in godly fear, we make excuses and accuse others rather than repent. The world can appear more godly than we do, and we can lose sight of the incredible calling God has on our lives. Lord, help us to be a reflection of him. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you. We worship and magnify your most holy name. We thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that though this chapter, the events in this chapter took place thousands of years ago, it so applies to our lives today. So easy for us to stop fearing you, to start melting in with the world, to become like the world, to pursue the things of the world, to make excuses when confronted with sin. Lord, help us to love and serve and honor you above all else. Help us, Lord, to be desperate for you. Help us, Lord, to desire to walk in the center of your will more than being popular with men. Help us, Lord, to fear you and to be faithful. Lord, we know without you we can do nothing. We thank you for the promise in your word. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. So strengthen us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Let's stand and close the worship song.